Well, let's bow once more, uh, church family, as we prepare our hearts to receive the word of God this morning. In Christ alone. Uh, What a beautiful phrase. Uh, What a beautiful reality uh, that your son Jesus Christ uh, is alone, the way, the truth, and the life. That only through him can we come into your presence, Father. And we, we thank you for that. Uh, we thank you for your Holy Spirit uh, that uh, continues to uh, let us know that we are children of God uh, and that uh, we uh, can know you deeper uh, through communion with you, uh, through the reading of your word, through the study of your word, through the meditation of your word uh, as we make it part of who we are, uh, as you've revealed yourself to us. And so, Father, I ask for each one here this morning that the distractions of life Uh, would be taken away for these moments together, that we would concentrate and use our minds, engage our minds to hear your truth and to make that part of who we are, so that as we step into this new week, Lord, that we would have a bigger and grander impact because of the power of your Spirit in us, because of Christ alone uh, redeeming us, uh, and Father, because of your eternal plan uh, from before time. Uh, as it has all come together, and Lord, we await the return of our Savior. Uh, and in the meantime, we will study your word and, and better know who you are so that we're not strangers when we stand before you face to face. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, and we are in the last section here of verses 11 through 14 of chapter 1 in this uh, long, uh, as I told you at the very beginning, run-on sentence. Uh, Paul wanted to, to squeeze every ounce through uh, the, the text here to give us a beautiful picture of this sovereign plan of salvation uh, that we have that was given by the Father, that was uh, brought forth and realized uh, uh, in the Son as he gave himself as that sacrifice and uh, through the Spirit uh, that we have uh, life, the whole Godhead. Uh, and today uh, we will mark the beginning of this uh, journey through the last uh, uh, few verses here in this uh, long sentence uh, as we take a look at verses 11 through 14, which I will read to you now. In him... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Today, uh, we are going to take a look at our inheritance in Christ and the hope that we have in Christ. Uh, As we continue on in this and then the weeks following, uh, we're going to be spending three weeks considering the Holy Spirit's work in salvation. Uh, And then... uh, uh, to cap that all off, we'll be looking at that phrase, to the praise of his glory, uh, and that'll bring us to the conclusion of this long sentence. 
So the first thing I want you to, to acknowledge and something that we need to understand as we consider the culture in which we live, as we uh, consider the church, uh, because there are many who make profession uh, of uh, the fact that uh, they believe that salvation can be attained in other means, that the inheritance uh, that we have in Christ is something that can come in other ways or other avenues. And I want you to notice those two words, in him. It's not in me as your pastor. It's not in the heritage that you have from your family that was passed down from generation to generation. The only way that you can obtain an inheritance, the only way that you can become a child of God is in him, in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the source of this inheritance that Paul is speaking to. And he says there, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So in other words, God is sovereign over all of this. And so as we think about our inheritance, as we think about how we, we look at this, we have to lay aside everything that we have as a conceived notion in relation to earthly inheritances, because this one is by far the best. It does not get any better. It does not need to be improved upon. It cannot get richer or poorer. This is the beautiful uh, inheritance that we have all because it's in Christ. And you'll notice there on the screen, and don't get too scared here because I'm, I'm going to go a little bit deeper in here because I need you to see the Greek language here. Uh, because as we look at salvation, as we see that it's God's plan uh, from before the foundation of the world, sometimes we can doubt our salvation. Sometimes we can look at the things that we've done and say, there's no way that God can forgive me. And the fact is, as we think about this, this inheritance that we have, you need to understand the Greek because there's some uh, a beautiful word picture that puts forth that you don't get in your English translation. Believe it or not, that whole phrase, we have obtained an inheritance, is one compound Greek verb. So you get all those English words that are describing what is going on there. But even to better understand, I'm going to teach you a little bit in relation to Greek this morning, because it is a Greek verb that is in the first person plural, aorist, passive, indicative. And I want you to notice a couple of those words, aorist and indicative. Uh, and I'm going to define them for you so you can better understand because this helps you to understand this inheritance in Christ. Something that you won't get by just simply reading the English translation. But when a verb is in the aorist tense, it is looking from an external point of view. Uh, it is looking at, as it says there in the definition, an occurrence as a whole or in summary. So what, what is the subject matter? Our inheritance. You know, our salvation in Christ and what it entails. Uh, it includes the beginning and end point, which, again, only God who is sovereign over all, only God who, you know, in eternity is, you know, uh, looking and, and, and interacting with us here on a earthly level, can know the beginning from the end. Um, I know where the beginning and the end of my sermon is because I have the notes in front of me. Uh, because I, I've taken the time to study and put it on paper. Uh, God knows everything. And so when we think about we have obtained an inheritance, you know, it's 
uh, being looked at from an external point of view as a whole or a summary, including the beginning and the end, without reference to the internal makeup or progress of that event. Okay? So it's given us the, the, the full picture, you know, the full, you know, completed puzzle, as it were, um, or the completed, you know, uh, quilt so that we get the full picture uh, of what's going on here. And when it's, uh, a word is in indicative in the Greek, it's an action or state represented as certain or realized. So there's nothing that is going to come into play as we think about uh, uh, obtaining an inheritance in Christ that is incomplete, that will not come to pass. Instead, it's the complete opposite. It is fully complete because it's God's plan. It is God's giving an inheritance to us that is being obtained because of everything that Christ did. It is in him. It's certain. It's realized God doesn't need to change it. He doesn't need to alter it in any way because of, you know, man progressing in his knowledge. Because, remember, this plan is from eternity, not in time where we are, which has a beginning and an end, which God knows because he is not only sovereign over all and is decreeing his will uh, throughout time, uh, but because God does know everything. And so when we think about this, when you think about the inheritance you have and you begin to doubt your salvation, it's because you're not looking at whose salvation has its core in. Christ. God the Father. God the Holy Spirit. And you know, looking at this from an you know, external point of view, uh, it is something that is complete. There's no going back. And what is unfolding in time, which if you, you, you know, go back to 1975, in Christ, I obtained an inheritance because God knew that I put my faith and trust in Christ. Well, let's take a look at another uh, uh, word in here. Uh, and again, I don't mean for this to be too much of a Greek study this morning. Uh, but the word uh, that is translated works uh, in your, your Bibles there, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, um, which comes from the Greek word uh, energio, which means to work, to effect, or to produce. So in other words, God is the one, and, and if you look at that Greek word, energio, uh, uh, what does it look like in English? Energy or energize. So what is God doing in relation to this inheritance? What is God doing in relation to his will? He is energizing it. He is giving it life. And no one is going to take that away from God because, remember, he is all-powerful, sovereign over all. And so it is he who works, he who energizes all things to the counsel of his will from beginning to end. Because, remember, God is looking at this from eternity. And everything that we are participating in is, you know, unfolding within time. That's why Paul in, in, in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 can say these words. He says, I am sure of this. He doesn't need to doubt because he knows in whom his life is held. The God who made him. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That word completion means to execute it. 
It's going to unfold. It is going to happen. Because who's behind it? Are you behind it? No. The all-powerful, almighty God is. He is the one who is energizing. He is the one who will bring it to completion because it is certain. It is realized. It it, uh, has a beginning and end point, and God knows all of it. He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. See, this is God's plan from the beginning. And as I told you before, God didn't have to kind of scrape something together and to, to you know, say, I, just, I didn't count on that. That is not the God we serve. He knows because he decreed it. He knows because he is the one who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God is active. Even though there may be evil in this world, even though you may do evil things, say evil things, uh, act out in evil ways, that does not minimize who God is and what he does. So keep your finger here in Ephesians chapter 1. I want you to turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. Because we speak about this inheritance that we have in Christ, uh, Peter pens a, a beautiful definition of what this inheritance looks like, what characterizes this inheritance. And again, this is important uh, because this will also give you the surety to know that there is nothing that is going to take away or alter this inheritance that you have in Christ when you put your faith and trust in him. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in, in verse 3, I'd like to read. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4. To an inheritance that is... And here are the the four things that you're going to be pulling from this text uh, this morning to understand what this inheritance, uh, you know, is. It is imperishable, undefiled, unfading in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I'd like you to focus on those four words that describe what our inheritance is. It says there, uh, um, our inheritance in Christ is first imperishable. And there's a typo in your notes there. I think it says debt proof. It actually is meant to say death proof. If Pastor Bill were able to enunciate better, uh, Amy would be able to get it you know, correctly typed in there. But see, the thing is, when we think about our inheritance in Christ, something that is kept by God's power because it's part of God's plan from the beginning, it is not going to perish. Imperishable means it will not decay. It will not decla- uh, um, collapse. See, there's nothing, you know, as far as time is concerned. There is nothing as far as eternity is concerned that is going to come in and alter this inheritance in any way. It is completely death-proof. Don't you wish you were death-proof? Well, you actually are in Christ doesn't mean that this physical body is going to, you know, uh, be for eternity, which I'm very thankful for. Because as you get older, the more you realize that this body is very frail. And things hurt that you didn't even know you had. But our inheritance is imperishable. It's not going to die. 
Time is not going to eradicate it. But it is also undefiled. Well, what does undefiled mean? It means it's pure. It's unspoiled. So in other words, it's sin-proof. So there's nothing that you can say or do or think that is going to change the inheritance you have in Christ because you have been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Your sins, past, present, and future, are fully paid for. And the inheritance that you have in Christ cannot be affected by the sin that you commit, cannot be affected by the sin in this world, because Jesus Christ gave his all so that we could experience not only forgiveness and being redeemed and being reconciled to God, but to actually have an inheritance in Christ that is not only imperishable, but undefiled. It is sin-proof. And third, our inheritance in Christ is unfading. So this means it will not diminish in its splendor. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling, you know, down and out, and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, shame on you. Because you're not seeing God as he is. You're not experiencing the salvation that you have in Jesus Christ. To know that it should not in your eyes ever diminish in its splendor. That the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ should be as glorious as it was that day, today. So as you sit here and hear the word of God, that you don't think that, you know, uh, what God has done in that miraculous work through Christ, through the Spirit, and through the Father is any less beautiful than the day you put your faith and trust in Christ. And the sad thing is, is that as you come around someone who's a new believer and you see the excitement that they have in their faith, and we, we oftentimes look back and say, well, I really wish I had that excitement. Well, there's the only reason that you don't is because you're in the way, because you're not seeing God in his splendor. You're not seeing this this gift, this inheritance that you have in Christ, something that is yet to come, something that is future yet, but is guaranteed because it is coming from the God who is dwelling in eternity. So in other words, it's unfading. It is time-proof. So it doesn't matter if Jesus returns in the next 30 seconds, if he t- returns in the next 30 you know, days, weeks, months, years, millennia, It's not going to change that inheritance because it's complete. It's beautiful. It is full of splendor. It does not fade. And fourth, our inheritance in Christ is kept. It says, kept in heaven for you, there at the end of verse 4, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So guess what? Your reservation in heaven is secure. You don't have to worry about God giving away your room. You don't have to worry about there being, uh, you know, uh, something from without affecting what is going to happen future yet in heaven when you stand before God. Because God has prepared a place for you. And Jesus says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. That is surety. Your reservation is secure. It is foolproof. And I'm not sure if that's actually a word in the way it's intended, but for my purposes, it is today. It's full because there is nothing missing from it. You don't have to worry about 
you know, God giving it away because he knows you by name. His son knows you because he took your sin upon that cross, upon himself. And see, that's one of the glorious and beautiful things about this inheritance. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It is unfading. It is kept. So in other words, it's death-proof, it's sin-proof, it's time-proof, and it's full-proof. So is there any reason to walk around feeling defeated in your Christian life or thinking that, you know, the sin that I just committed as I was thinking about something cannot be forgiven? See, our salvation is complete. You know, that's why Paul says, you know, you know, should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? May it never be. But if you confess your sins, guess what? What is God faithful to do? Forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Because your inheritance is sure. Nothing is going to change it. It is certain. It is realized. God has sees it from beginning to end point. couple other scriptures that help you know solidify this in our mind in relation to our inheritance one is in the gospel of john chapter 10 uh begin reading there in verse 27 you don't have to turn there this is my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me i give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand amen amen my father, and the reason why this is, and this is important because it goes on to say why this is the case. Because my father who has given them to me is greater than all. So is there anyone greater than God? Absolutely not. No one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. They're one because Jesus Christ is the son of God. The whole Trinity is involved. The whole Godhead is involved in our salvation. From the Father to the Son to the Holy Spirit. So is there anything outside of God that is going to cause that to come in and be unraveled or altered or changed or somehow you're going to void what God has done? Absolutely not. Because the God of all has it within his hand. And no one, not even yourself, can snatch that out of God's hand. Because who are you? The one who is created, snatching it out of the creator's hand? It's not going to happen. And that's an assurance of salvation to know that we belong to God and that he knows us. Also in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, it says, Therefore he, speaking of Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant. Remember when we take communion? This is the, what? New covenant in my blood. So that those who are called may receive the promised in eternal inheritance. So that sound like there's going to be something that's going to void that? Is something going to come in and change that? It says, because Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant, because he shed his blood for us for the forgiveness of sins, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. God is going to give it to you because he promised. And because Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. And verse 15 goes on to say, and this is beautiful, it says, Since a death has occurred, well, whose death? Jesus' death. That death on the cross. 
that redeems, so in other words, redeems us out of slavery, pays the price for our sin, redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Because we couldn't keep God's law. Because even if we could outwardly fool everyone and think that we could keep God's law, God's got us in relation to what we think. Even if people don't know what we think, God does. But see, that's the beautiful thing. This is sure. This is realized. It is complete. And so if you're here this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ, you should rejoice in the salvation that you have and know that there is nothing on this earth, nothing in the entire universe that is going to rob you of what Jesus Christ paid for in full with his precious blood and has been applied to you when you put your faith and trust in him to redeem you out of that. So much so that when you die and you stand before God for all of eternity, that nothing is going to void that price being paid. Because Jesus is going to say to the Father, this one belongs to me. In him we have obtained an inheritance. In our, in our you know, final moments this morning, I want to take a look at that phrase, our hope in Christ. Because you know what? We need hope. Because we live in a day and age that if you spend too much time looking outside of God, you're going to feel pretty hopeless. But the first thing I want you to notice there is that Paul changes audience uh, focus here in verse uh, 12 and 13. Because you remember back, if you look at, um, and you flip back to Ephesians chapter 1, I didn't tell you that, but hopefully you figured it out. That if you look back at verse 1, remember the audience? to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. But see, Paul, as he's speaking here, all of a sudden, you know, you know, pulls away from that audience focus to focus particularly on two particular audiences. One that he is a part of as a Jew, and the others that are reading this that are not Jew or Gentile. As you see there in verse 12, it says, So that we, who were the first to hope in Christ... Well, who is the first to hope in Christ? Jesus is the Messiah, the one promised from, you know, the very beginning of time that we can even look in the book of Genesis and see that Jesus Christ would crush Satan's head. So the first ones to hope in Christ Jesus are the Jewish believers because they saw Jesus for who he is. He is the Messiah who came to, to save them from their sin not to free them from the oppression of Rome. There was very few that saw that, but they were the first to hope in Jesus Christ. They were the first to hope in a Messiah coming. Verse 13, he says, in him you also. Well, who's the you he's speaking of there? Well, that is the Gentile believers. Because it didn't just stop with the Jews. God's chosen people from, you know, as we read our Old Testament, you know, people he did not choose because they were the greatest among the nations. He chose them because he chose them. Simple as that. But you know what? What did the Jews do in relation to the Messiah? They rejected him. They crucified him. And so that meant that, you know, that wasn't a hiccup in God's plan. Because this was planned before the beginning of time, remember? 
And God didn't have to look down the corridor of time to find out what was going to happen and, and say, well, I guess the Jews rejected me. I didn't count on that. And so I guess I'll, I'll offer to the Gentiles as well. No. It was all part of God's plan. And the thing is, is that salvation is both for Jews and Gentiles. In other words, Jesus brings all people together because Jesus changed people's lives, changes people's lives. And he will do that until the point in which he returns and brings us home. And you want to know how I know that Jesus brings all people together? Listen to what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse uh, 6. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? It was a good question. You know, they're, they're wondering, you know, Jesus, is this, is this going to be the restoring of the kingdom? Verse 7, he says, he said to, th- to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. So again, we see God's sovereignty overall, that there are things that are fixed because they are all part of God's will and part of God's plan from the beginning. Verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That is Jews and Gentiles all together, all coming in as Jesus brings all people together through his death, burial and resurrection. Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Paul also says it here. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to what? The Jew first, and also to the Greek or the Gentile. So this change in audience focus was was purposeful. It wasn't because Paul was trying to create division. What he was trying to create, uh, or actually reiterate, is the fact that Jesus Christ saves both Jew and Gentile, and that he is a partaker of it because he says, so that we who were first to hope in Christ, but you also. So what uh, in relation to hope in Christ? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, hope is mentioned in a list of three things. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three things. But the greatest of these is love. Well, that's because God showed his love to us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But see, it says there, um, so faith and hope. And, and oftentimes we kind of mix faith and hope together and don't realize that there's a, a actual biblical distinction between the two. That's why I've got you here in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, so that you you can see that it's listed separately. So now, faith, hope, and love. So what is faith? Well, Hebrews 11, 1 tells us, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So as you think about this hope that you have in Jesus Christ, you first have to understand what biblical faith is. Well, biblical faith is a complete, unwavering trust in the one true God who you haven't seen. That's what faith is. But see, hope is distinct from that because biblical hope is the confident expectation in what will certainly happen. That's why we don't live as those who have no hope. Because Jesus Christ has given us hope. And he has promised that he is going to return. 
Do you believe that this morning? Yes. You should. And that should define how you live. You know, we won't be perfect, but it doesn't mean that we just kind of throw everything out because, you know, we still struggle with sin. But see, biblical faith is a trust in God. Trusting that he will do what he said, that he is God, that he is sovereign, that he is almighty, that he is merciful, gracious, the one who gives us hope in Christ. And I love biblical hope because it's a confident expectation in what will certainly happen. Jesus is coming back. I will be in the presence of God for all eternity where my faith will be made sight. That's the hope that we have in Christ. It's not a hope like the world has, where I hope that Pastor Bill finishes in the next 10 minutes because I've got something i got to go do. <laughs> I love your optimism. <laughs> but see, that's how the world operates. I hope that this happens. Do you see how the difference in it? There's not certainty there. It's a hopeful. I hope that, you know... You know, the dead uncle I didn't know I had dies and, and willed everything to me. You see, that's not the kind of hope we're talking about here. This is not the, the hope that we have in Christ, because the hope that we have in Christ is confident and is certain that it's going to happen, because the one who promised does not change, and that is God Almighty. So hope in Christ, but not only that, a living hope, which takes us back to the passage we just read a few moments ago in First Peter chapter 1. Verse 3, um, it says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is a living hope which we have been born again to. So when we take a look at our existence now through the lens of God and through the lens of Scripture, we can see and have the surety that everything that God says will come true. It is a living hope. And we've been born again to be able to see it with spiritual eyes, to be able to embrace it, to have the faith to trust in it. See, Jesus rose from the dead. That's our past. Jesus is alive right now at the right hand of the throne. That's our present. Jesus promises what? Eternal life. That's our future yet. And the thing is, I can stand back from this and know that I have a living hope and a living Savior and nothing in this world and, and nothing I can do to change that. And that is, if that's not surety, if that's not a hope that is confidently expecting what will certainly happen, then I don't know what is. It's a beautiful thing. But it's also a blessed hope. Titus chapter 2, uh, verses 11 through 14 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. 
man, there's a lot of sermons in there. But the reason I point this out is because the hope that we have in Jesus Christ is also a blessed hope. Because Jesus is coming back. Jesus did give himself to redeem us from lawlessness. Jesus did, through the Spirit, purify us so that we would be a people of his own possession, zealous for good works, which we know, according to Ephesians, what? We're prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, not only has God prepared an inheritance for us, but we are his inheritance. There are many scriptures we could turn to to see that we belong to God and God to us. And what a beautiful relationship that the Father has afforded us in his Son, Jesus Christ. So how should this inform our lives today? Because I've given you a lot to consider, a lot to think about. But what what should we do in relation to this inheritance that we have in Christ, this hope that we have in Christ that is a living and blessed hope? Well, first is... Do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't let this world rob you of that living and blessed hope in Christ. Because it will. Because remember what sin is. Sin is a a disobedience to God, but it is also something that separates us from God. And as believers, we know we have forgiveness when we confess our sins. So that we can walk with God. And, and fellowship with him. But don't lose heart, because in 2 Corinthians four sixteen through 18, it says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer nature is wasting away. So in other words, this, this human shell is wasting away. You know, your whole body is, is dying, except for your fat cells. They, they don't die. <laughs> and actually, on a humorous point, someone I, I saw said that, you know, uh, Fat cells must have been redeemed as well because they're good until, you know, for eternity. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight, and I love the the word usage here, for this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Wow. Take that in for a minute. This slight momentary. Because you know what? Our lives are not even a drop in the bucket. And you can think about the millennia that have passed since God in the beginning created, where he said, let there be. And however many years left in time there'll be until the point which there is no time anymore. And we are in eternity. This slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So there's nothing on this earth that you can look at that is going to give you a full picture of what awaits you. What is part of that inheritance? What is that eternal weight of glory? To be in the presence of God Almighty forever. To know that Jesus Christ, his son, died on that cross. So that we could receive forgiveness. As we look not into things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, which we know. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Start thinking as those who have eternal life. 
Because we do live in a world that there is slight momentary affliction. And even in our country today, God is being shunned. God is being pushed away. Morality is no longer morality. But you know, that is only a momentary affliction. Because praise be to God, blessed be God, that we have an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison waiting for us on the other side. And lastly, God keeps his promises. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Okay, not hopeful. This is hope. Confident expectation in what will certainly happen. Without wavering. So don't let something cause you to think otherwise. For he who promised is faithful. God's faithful. God is going to bring you home. He will, as the scripture tells us, finish what he has started. He will supply all our needs. His love will never fail. His mercies are new every day. He will comfort us in all of our afflictions. All things will work together for good for those, uh, for those who are his children. And when we seek him for, or when we seek for him with all of our heart and soul, we will find him and he will bring us home. So don't forget God's promises. Guess what? God keeps them for all of eternity. So live like kingdom people. Live as those who have joy inexpressible as well as a hope that is living and blessed. Let's bow together for a closing word of prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for these beautiful truths today. Thank you that you spent so much time as your spirit energized the writers of your word. So much ink for us to know who we are in Christ Jesus, to know what awaits us yet, so that it can give us the ability to see that we are overcomers, that we have victory in Jesus. Lord, forgive us when we allow the things of this world, the cares of this world, to rob us of what we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. When it robs us of realizing that, you know, the best is yet to come. Because we will get to see you face to face all because of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that this inheritance that we have is death-proof, sin-proof, time-proof, and full-proof. Lord, I pray that you would use these truths to encourage each believer here today, uh, that they would walk as those who not only in their heads understand the salvation that they enjoy, but their hearts, their minds, their souls, their whole being would literally pour forth in a very powerful way through your spirit so that the world would see the difference, that they would see that there is things that are right and wrong, that they would see that there is forgiveness no matter how uh, heinous of a sin they may have committed, that you had a plan that no one and no time can change. And so, Father, I pray that you would give each one of the believers here today that assurance that their hope would be confident, 
and, the, and as they wait expectantly for your son to return. Because it's certainly going to happen. We just don't know when. So let's live as though it's going to happen in the next few moments. And what a glorious moment that will be. So, Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.